Mac Power Users, episode 669, Drowning Out the Noise with Charlie Chapman. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined, as always, by Stephen Hackett. Hey, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing great, Stephen. And we have a guest with us today. Welcome to the show, Charlie Chapman. Hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, Charlie is the developer of Stephen and I's very favorite noise app, uh, Dark Noise, and uh, also just a swell guy. And we wanted to talk to Charlie about uh, how he's using his Mac and what he's up to and uh, development of Dark Noise. We've got a lot to cover today, Charlie. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to be here. Uh, this is a podcast I've been listening to for a very long time on a network that I've been listening to for a very long time. So uh, it's kind of, I don't know, like a dream come true kind of situation. So I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Well, that's awesome. The uh, Well, we are both very eager to talk to you about your app. I know I use it daily, so yep. we have we have stuff to talk about here. Uh, but before so, a uh, little uh, bit of housekeeping. Uh, the Mac Power Users annual plans are still on sale. Go to www.giverelay.com. That's 20% off. We only do this once a year. Not much time left. Get in there and get signed up. Yeah, and today on More Power Users, uh, I want to talk about my two-screen experiment. So listeners may remember that David tried this a while back and then went back to just one display plus an iPad. I'm trying the dual display thing on my Mac for the first time in a long time, so I thought I could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and I think listeners should also remember back when I was using actually uh, three displays, I had a big one and two on each side, my uh, my ears, Stephen mocked me and, and made fun of me and it hurt my feelings, mm. frankly. And, Did I? and now he's doing it. One day he just sent me a picture of his extra screen next to his Mac, and I was thinking, huh, shoes on the other foot now, I guess. So I have a lot of questions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we will, uh, we will get to that in uh, more power users today. So, Charlie, we want to talk to you about uh, what you're up to, uh, kind of what you're doing with the app and your podcast. And I want to talk about Sherlocking. But first, I want to uh, get uh, to know you a little bit better, get our listeners to know you a little bit better. I'm sure a lot of people have used uh, something that you have made. But how did you get into this app podcast, like Apple ecosystem space? Well, you actually are Uh-oh. partially to blame for that, uh, surprisingly. So I, I'm i a developer. uh Went to school, uh, got a computer science degree, and living here in Missouri, in the middle of America, uh, the main like worlds that exist here as far as jobs go are Java or .NET, which is like the Microsoft stack. And I kind of fell into the Microsoft stack, and that was sort of what I did for a long time. Um, but <laughs> because of starting with uh, Hello Internet, weirdly, and then falling through Cortex into the Relay sort of world. Um, I got really into the Apple ecosystem and listening to that, even though I was uh, an Android user, weirdly at the time, but I was a big Mac user. Um, And I just loved that idea. And I got an opportunity to sort of play in that space um, during (laughs) the brief Windows Phone era. So I had a job opportunity to build Windows phone apps. And so I did that for a while. And actually, the first indie app I ever made uh, was a Windows phone, Windows 8 tablet app. 
uh, for Vimeo, if you ever used Vimeo, um, for like viewing that. And so that like was my first taste of that world. Um, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of people there. So it was more or less me sort of getting to make something, develop something, use all the apps that you guys talk about uh, for project management and all that stuff. But it was really just for fun. And that wasn't super long lived. And then I kind of fell back into the normal Microsoft stack web development world. Um, and then at the last company I was at, it was a consulting. I had sort of a weird opportunity to jump onto a iOS team, uh, despite having never downloaded or used Xcode in my life. And so I just jumped on that because I was excited to, to try it. And I knew I liked building touch, you know, interfaces and stuff. And so as part of that, I was like, I need to learn how to do this. So I'm actually helping my team quickly. And so I was like, I'm going to make some sort of side app. And the side app that I made was, uh, ended up being dark noise, but it was basically a thing I was doing on the side to try and learn how to build this stuff. Um, and I, I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but that was sort of how I fell into the iOS development world. And now I work at a different company now, but I'm doing, you know, iOS development there, uh, as like my normal full-time job. And then I have probably too many, uh, side projects going as well. <laughs> well, congratulations on surviving, uh, Windows phone. I mean, I just, yeah. I pulled up the Wikipedia well, article. Is it surviving? The- <laughs> I'm not doing it still. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, what a, I could talk about it forever. So many interesting ideas in those yes, operating systems yes. uh, with the live tiles and Metro and all that stuff. But it's all gone now. All, all just uh, in the shoe bin of history. But I didn't realize that Dark Noise was kind of your, you know, your one of your early ways of exploring uh, iOS development. I mean, that's wild to me. Yeah, I mean, literally, uh, it was, you know, I wrote the the like now playing little animation thing where it goes from basically taking Marco's ideas from overcast and it kind of shrinks down into that smaller, uh, small playing window to reveal everything else. I built that like my second month of having wrote Swift in my life. Um, it was, it was, there was a lot of fumbling. There's a lot of code in this app that's embarrassing whenever I get there and I try to clean it up whenever I do. But uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a learning project whenever it started, for sure. Yeah, and you know, so often people make the, you know, the Hello World style learning projects just to get their feet wet. And you actually made a commercially viable app. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily on purpose. I didn't think that that yeah. would be the case. But uh, yeah. yeah, turns out a lot of people like using these types of apps. Well, I want to get into that. But before we do, this is Mac Power Users. Tell us about your gear. Yeah, so um, this is this is where you guys have been a, a major influence on my life, maybe, too. Uh, I definitely have a lot of, of Apple gear now. So I guess we'll start with my main machine. Uh, for me personally, is M1 Max MacBook Pro 14-inch, which I was extremely excited uh whenever they made the 14 inch basically just as powerful and you could get uh the m1 max in there uh, because that is my favorite like laptop style especially for my personal machine as my side project machine because i don't get to work at a desk very often with that type of work i'm usually you know 
uh, I fed the kids breakfast and I'm, I'm publishing an episode or I put them down for naps, especially when my kids were younger. And you have like that sweet hour of quiet and you'd sit in the living room as quietly as you could and you'd you know, try and knock some stuff out. And I, I used to do that on a 13-inch MacBook Pro. And I had a iMac that was my like, I haven't mentioned this, but I, I used to do and still do to some degree uh, like motion graphics and video editing and stuff. And so I had an iMac as that machine. But when the 16-inch MacBook Pro that sort of corrected everything still in the Intel era, when that came out, I switched to that and consolidated both of my machines into one. And I was, uh, I was excited about that, but I learned that 16 inches is really big for something that you're carrying around with you all the time. Um, so I was very happy to go down to the 14 inch. So that's my, that's my personal MacBook Pro. And then my work MacBook Pro is actually the 16 inch, uh, M1 uh, and okay. M1 Max. You got the pair. And so, <laughs> yeah. And you guys have talked about this, uh, on previous shows, so I won't go too far into it, but I am a very heavy, uh, uh, universal control user. And so my desk looks way more, uh, power user than I probably actually am because, I always have my my personal machine on one side, my work one on another side, and then a studio display in the middle. And they're always connected to each other. So there's one keyboard, one mouse. And I switch which machine is connected to that studio display all the time. Like right before we started recording this, I unplugged the Thunderbolt cable and from my work computer and plugged it into my personal computer. And actually... I wouldn't have been able to tell you, but I'm pretty sure that my trackpad is still connected to my work computer right now, but it's controlling my uh, personal computer that's hooked up to my studio display. So it's sort of this bizarre, uh, you know, Apple magic. It feels like a commercial uh, world that I live in sometimes because uh, copy and paste and all of that stuff works so seamlessly between devices that it almost treats them like they're one machine, even though in reality it's two separate machines. So I, I absolutely love that. I mean, I used to do the thing where I had a mouse and keyboard that had multiple uh, Bluetooth radios in it, right? And that way I could conceivably switch my mouse and keyboard between an iPad and a Mac or two Macs on my desk. And universal control just completely eliminates all that friction. You just... You just turn it on and, and that's it. And people out there who have an extra device sitting around and you'd like some extra screen real estate, I just, I mean, we, we've said it on the show now enough, but I just can't emphasize how easy it is, you know, and and I love it. Like, I, it's just a natural thing for me now to drag my mouse onto my iPad and start doing something on my iPad while I'm sitting there working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it really exemplifies the sort of Apple like building on top of technology you've already, you know, established for a long time because um oh shoot, what is it? It's not uh not universal control, but the thing that allows a uh, handoff, the handoff like yeah. technology stack means that I will frequently take, you know, code that I wrote for my side thing that helped me with some problem and I'm using it as reference for something that I work on, you know, at my regular job. And I can just copy and paste uh, text over there. Or I can take an image that I created or a screenshot that I created on one computer and just drag it over you know, th- across monitors that are technically owned by different computers to another one and just drop it in place. And it all just works. And it's really, it's kind of magical. It's also infuriating whenever uh, 
whenever it does, you know, fail because it's not it's not perfect. And I do sometimes run into those. But that always shows me just how much I've come to rely on it. What kind of failures are you getting on it? Um, so the biggest one was during the Ventura beta. Um, it was really unreliable just for working with universal control at all. Yeah. Um, so that that was when I realized, like, I really want this to always be working because it. I had sort of rearranged my desk to push my my computer back farther, so I don't need to reach the keyboard and mouse. It's kind of up. This is my laptop. Uh, it's kind of up on a stand. Yeah. Um, and it started getting really hard whenever I did want to reference, you know, something over on my personal computer while I was working on my regular one, uh, my work one, because, you know, you have to reach way over to kind of move stuff around. Um, yeah. But since since the actual uh, public release has come out, I haven't really run into those problems again. Yeah, I've had historically some problems with the second screen moving. And I know, Stephen, you're you're doing this now, too where like the uh the screen because i keep it below and to the right of my main display so i want to pull the mouse down on the bottom right and have it land on the ipad and then occasionally the screen would virtually put it on the upper left corner of my monitor Mm. and you know and then you'd you'd have to go into display you know you'd get you'd be like hey where'd it go you know and uh, with the public release of ventura that has completely gone away whatever bug that was they've fixed it so yeah, I, I've had really consistent, um, you know, support with this thing now. And, you know, I, I guess we've been banging the drum about this enough, but uh, if you've got two devices, you can use them. You don't need a special mouse and keyboard or a KVM switch or anything else. Just yeah. turn it on and start using it. And you'll be surprised all the use you have for it. Charlie, I know a lot of our listeners are in a situation like you are where you have a work computer and a personal computer and I was wondering how you approach that. I mean, do you try to keep things strictly separate or are the or are the boundaries a little bit messy at times? I try to keep everything as separate as I can. I'm not a lawyer. Um, I don't know if you guys know anybody who is, but uh I used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, touche. Um what is this lawyer but, thing you're talking about? <laughs> I've never heard of it. But like I, I'm I'm very paranoid about uh like I don't want anything from my work computer touching my regular computer or my personal computer as far as I wouldn't want any code that I wrote, you know, on the clock that's owned by my employer to end up in dark noise, for example. Like that's something I'm really careful about. And so for the most part, I kept boundaries extremely separate. Um, the one thing that I kind of let slip through, maybe I shouldn't be saying this on a public podcast, I don't know, but uh, I am logged into my work computer with my personal iCloud account. And the reason for that is there's a lot of software that makes me way better at my job uh, that I want access to. Yeah, including universal control. That looks at the what Apple ID signed in. Yeah, once you open that box, uh, at least a little bit, I have a bunch of stuff turned off there still, but universal control is now a thing that you have. Um, universal like clipboard with handoff is a thing. And I use um, Paste. The, uh, like that's the clipboard manager I use. I don't know if it's something with Paste or handoff or... I don't know if other clipboard managers do this too, but what I found is if I if I copy something on any of my devices, um, Paste will pick that up, like on my on my work computer, which is really handy on my uh, uh, with my phone. So on my phone, I can copy text, and I'll hear the little 
you know, sound that paste makes, which I leave on and would probably drive other people crazy, but it's because it doesn't work a thousand percent of the time, you know? Um, and then I get sort of clipboard management and some history for on my iPhone through paste on my Mac, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. I mean, I remember when we did our clipboard manager roundup a while back, uh, that was a use case that that came up, you know, bringing things across machines, not just clipboard management in terms of history, like, you know, on one computer. But, hey, what if I have this here and I want it over there? Pace is a pretty great way of doing that. Yeah, it's surprisingly useful, especially as an iOS developer, because I have I mean, sitting in front of me, too, and we <laughs> you can tell I talk too much because we're still on the Mac section. Uh, but the iPhone I have is an iPhone 14 Pro. Um, but I also have just a little pile of uh, test devices. And I, unless I'm doing some beta stuff that I'm a little scared of, I tend to leave those logged into my personal iCloud account too. And the reason is the same. It's so quick to like share screenshots and text and uh, password sharing for logging into things and whatever between all of those devices. Um, and it kind of it kind of makes my like Apple ecosystem this holistic you know network glue thing between this constantly revolving uh series of uh actual devices that i have on my desk so what other devices are on your desk what do you use in terms of ipad and iphone um so my ipad uh this will probably come as a shock but it is a 2018 ipad pro uh 11 inch like many people uh it has served me extremely reliably for a long time and i haven't needed more Every time a new iPad comes out, I get excited and hope that they're going to at least give it mini LED or something. Um, and every year that they don't, I'm like, all right, I'll just wait another year, I guess, because it still works. And that device is A, for testing, and B, the biggest thing I use it for is um, the podcast I do has custom artwork for every episode, and it's in kind of a sketch style. And so I use Photoshop on the iPad. I've used lots of other apps, and I always end up falling back to Photoshop. I know I'm weird, I guess, in that regard. But uh, that I use constantly all the time to make all these icons. Um, And so with the Apple Pencil, and that has been extremely useful, like way easier than my old Wacom uh, setup, especially portably, because I'm often, like I said, doing this at the kitchen table, uh, or, you know, while the kids are having their screen time or something, I'm just knocking out these icons really quick. And so that's been really handy. and then let's see what else is on my desk. I, I use HomePod minis as my um, I have two HomePod minis in like a stereo pair. That's sort of my for playing music and stuff, which is nice because you can airplay to it. And it's a separate like it's a separate audio from the rest of your device. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like having those kind of I mean, it can be fiddly in some ways, but most of the time it's actually really handy. Um, and then. And then I have like a, you know, an audio interface here for my microphone is connected to that. And I guess I have a microphone stand that's usually pushed out of the way over here. Um, and I need to get a new one that's longer, but it's served me well for a very long time. So I don't even know what brand it's some, you know, random uh, Amazon brand probably, mm-hmm. but I've had it for a very long time. <laughs> but that's pretty much my desk. Charlie, with respect to the HomePod minis, the... Um... So now are you driving music and audio to that from your Mac or I mean, who's sending the the music to that? So usually not right now, currently in, you know, December of uh, 2022, 
it's usually being driven off of my Mac using the the sad uh, Apple Music app for Mac. Um, yeah. What is often the case, uh, I, I have a picture in the show notes that I added. Uh, I think you can probably add it to the show notes for the episode if you want to. Um, but you can see in the background, there's a like a computer monitor kind of sitting on a little stand back behind yeah. my desk. Uh, a lot of times I'll have an Apple TV connected to that because um, I've done some Apple TV development. And what I had found was I actually really liked using that to drive my music uh, for a similar reason. As I said earlier, I like having it separate from all my other music or all my other sound uh, coming from my Mac. And so I could have my Apple TV remote just sitting, you know, right under my monitor. And right before a call, I could just reach up and hit pause and the music would stop. And then I could join the Zoom call and there was no, you know, fiddling around with, oh, no, my audio source is set to my speakers and I need it to be my AirPods or whatever. And then when the meeting's over, I just reach up and hit play and it starts back up again. Um, okay, so would, you're you're using then the HomePod. I'm confused. Are you using the HomePods for the rest of the audio from your Mac as well or just music? Just music. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, in Apple Music, you can do, use AirPlay too. Yeah. Yeah, I do the same those thing. As a separate source. Yeah, but I, I got the impression you're using it for audio too, and that's always I found kind of kind of uh, troublesome <laughs> to, especially if you're it. jumping on Zoom calls often as I am, uh, and you want to switch it back to your AirPods or you know whatever. What about the Apple Watch? Uh, so I actually just upgraded to the Series Eight. That's the one that just came out. I'll be honest, it's like I had the Series Five, I think, before that. And the main upgrade was, you know, my battery life being back up so I could use the always on screen again. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a power user on the Apple Watch at all. To me, it's a it's a nice uh, watch that collects all the data that I like it to collect, you know, health and fitness stuff um, and then gives me notifications. I do like that. But for the most part, I've never really found ways to integrate it into my life in ways that help me out that much, if that makes sense. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't come onto a popular podcast and scream to the rooftops that I wish it had a uh, third party watch faces because that's, that's the biggest thing I miss from, uh, my old, uh, Android wear watch that I had a long time ago, but that's, that's what I'm rocking for the watch. Do you guys think Apple's just given up on third party faces? Like they've just made a decision. They're never going to do it. I mean, at some point, you have to wonder, right? Because they certainly have had the time to make them by now. Yeah, I mean, we're a long way into the the watch OS lifecycle now. But then I think about how long it took for them to add widgets to iOS and, and some other things that are very common on other platforms. So I, I still hold a, a sliver of hope, I think. I think Apple isn't a single entity. And so it it constantly changes who has more influence in the company. Um, so even if it was a decision that somebody actively chooses, the fact that so many people want it, um, and it would sell, <laughs> it would sell watches means I think on an infinite time scale we'll get there. Um, but I also think if there was some, you know, actual philosophical reason why they didn't want it, that would have been like sort of messaged out through leaks or just people talking by now. Like it's been so long and people have been asking for it for so long. It would surprise me if there was some explicit philosophical reason they didn't want it, other than we're not ready yet for battery or whatever. It would surprise me if we hadn't heard what that is by now, you know? Well, I think uh, we kind of have heard. I think they don't want 
their beautiful watch to be uh, saddled with ugly faces. I feel like that certainly was the impression I got at the beginning. But who knows? I mean, there's a lot of ways to get around that, too. You could have an approval process. You could have a right. store. You could, I mean, mm-hmm. but I mean, it, it does make me sad. I mean, I've, I've kind of got over it at this point, and I'm, I'm okay with the faces I'm using, but boy, I wish there were more. I mostly notice it when I get a new watch or when the new watch OS comes out every year and I look at the watch faces again, I'm like, oh, I should probably switch things up. And then I get sad. Um, but yeah, once once I get back in, once I stop thinking about it, it's like, all right, this is my watch face and that's just how it is. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps and get 20% off your signup. For years, 1Password has been the password solution that Stephen and I use to protect ourselves on the internet. And one of the things I love about 1Password is the way the company continues to evolve. Signing in on the internet has become more difficult than ever. As you sign into websites and services, they all have different ways they want you to use their service. Some are using modern techniques, some are using old ones, other ones want to email you something or send you a text message, and it's difficult to keep all of those methods down. Well, not if you're using 1Password. With 1Password, they're developing universal sign-on, so it'll remember how you sign on to each account so you don't have to. If you use a password, a passkey, or a social login, whatever it is for that site, 1Password will use the appropriate method. And of course, because it's 1Password, it's simple, secure, and seamless. It syncs securely to all your devices. You don't have to worry about losing passwords. Everything is covered for you. 1Password already protects your credentials, documents, and private notes with their online systems. But with 1Password, you can also share that with your company or your family. So no matter where you go, 1Password keeps your data secure and your workflow simple. I use 1Password every day. So does my wife and kids. That is the place that we protect ourselves on the internet. You should have a place like that too. Go check out 1Password. You can get 20% off if you go to onepassword.com slash MPU. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU to get that 20% off. Let them know you heard about it here. Thanks again to 1Password for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So, Charlie, you are the the developer behind the excellent Dark Noise app, which is just a a fantastic noise generation app for the iPhone, iPad, Mac. Is it on the Apple TV? No, no, No. not currently. Mm. And uh, I first came across this app probably several years ago and I followed it. And like David, I use it all the time. Uh, You mentioned earlier that it was kind of your starting point in terms of uh, iOS development for yourself, but why this category of app? Why did you decide, you know, this is the direction you wanted to go? So, uh, why this one in the first place is, uh, you know, having listened to a lot of apps that you all do, um, I've always had lots of notes of like ideas of projects I'd like to work on or things I'd like to do or whatever. And so, like I said, whenever I got into iOS development, I was looking for something to help me learn this faster. And so I just went through, went to this list of things that I already had, these ideas. And what I was really looking for was what's something that will focus mostly on iOS development itself. So it didn't need a server. It didn't need a lot of database work because what I was really trying to focus on was like UI kit at the time and um, what the like 
platform rules are and how to design something good. And so a white noise app was already on my list and that kind of fit the bill of something that was really just focused on the platform. Uh, The reason it was on my list goes back a little bit farther whenever I switched from Android to iOS. Um, We switched because we had kids and at the time we wanted the best camera we could get and that was pretty much the main reason for switching. But I listened to lots of your podcasts before. I knew there was lots of great indie apps and so I was excited to kind of dive into the app store and find find good apps. And one of the first apps we looked for was something that my wife uses every single night, which is a way to play uh, white noise or like rain noise. Um, that was, you know, as soon as you get a new phone, the first time you go to sleep, you're like, all right, how do I make it do this thing that we've been doing for forever? Mm-hmm. And what I found there uh, was there was a lot of them and it was really difficult to find one that just did the thing I wanted. I feel like it's a category that is huge and grew really fast when the App Store first came out. And the ones that were big, at the time at least, they were pretty much all, they looked like they came from the original iOS era. Like they all kind of had iOS 7 redesign slapped on, but they had that feel of just older apps. Or or you could call it a wasteland of garbage apps. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it, it it was terrible. I mean, I, I feel like the original generation of these things were like Windows mobile apps that had been, you know, somehow squeezed onto the iPhone. They were just uh, you were much more generous than I am, Charlie. I <laughs> I mean, but but that's the brilliance of this is that you picked a category that was just ripe for a good app where yeah. there wasn't one. And specifically, like, in that sort of indie darling space, if that makes sense. I won't pretend that that's where I'm at right now, but that was sort of, as I got into building it, that was sort of what I realized was there isn't a, you know, carrot weather or overcast or uh, one of these apps that everybody's kind of like, this one or one of these couple are kind of the ones that, like, the indie people really like and use and showcase what the platform can be capable of kind of things. Um, and so that was really what I targeted um, because there's also, there's huge players in the space too. There's Calm and Headspace that are big, lots of money. And, you know, they have John Hamm reading you Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars or something like that, right? Obviously, that wasn't something I was going to be able to do, but it felt like there was a <laughs> spot, you know, uh, underneath that, Um that was maybe less of like a whole experience and more of a, this is a, like a utility that takes advantage of the platform is a really good platform citizen and, um, and is extremely efficient. That was the other thing because a lot of these apps, as they grow, they become more about, um, these complicated soundscapes and meditations and things like that, which is not an area I'm an expert in. And if I want to expand into those areas, I'm going to need, help and know people that do it but what i used it for was we're going to bed and i want to make the thing make the sound as fast as i can and then go away i don't want to look at it ever again um and the same goes for work like as i started realizing that people use this for work and then i started doing the same when i was forced to to work at home on my own um i just want coffee chop sounds in the background and i don't want it to feel like this experience that i'm spending a bunch of time in my goal is to make it make the thing and then get back to what I'm actually trying to focus on, which is not the sound. The sound, by definition, is is a background sound. Um, it feels like the app should 
should sort of honor that wish in a weird way. Yeah, I think that make that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, the the noise application I used before dark noise, like it very much wanted you to be in the UI and it had tons of things in there and you could add things and change all your settings. And and dark noise has evolved and has added a lot of features over the years. But I, I do find it curious, like with your app and with Overcast in particular, both of these apps I use all the time. They look really nice, they're great to use, but I don't actually interact with them all that much. Right. Like I go in and I hit my favorite sound and then I lock my phone and you've you spend all this time in this UI design in the app that most people only see a little bit of the time. And that's that's so different from other types of app development. Yeah. Any any noise or noise, any audio apps, I guess, probably fit that bill. Maybe Apple Music could use some of this thinking, too. Um, But yeah, that's why when you open the app, the very first thing you see is a big play button my original designs lit it was a huge play button i I toned that down a little bit but high contrast white circle play button in the middle for by default it's just white noise because that's probably what most people are here for and you could download the app open it and hit that button and close it and never look at anything else and i hope it can still give you exactly what you want Uh, and that was kind of the genesis of the name dark noise was you're probably using this in the dark. You know, I wear glasses and a lot of times if I forget to start it, I don't have my glasses on. And so I want it to be this dark interface that's not bright and in your face because you might be half asleep. But then a high contrast play button that you can at least, you know, jam your your finger on um, to make it start playing the sound and then it goes away. It's out of your face. One of the features I absolutely love in dark noise is the ability to blend different noises. So I just opened it on uh, here on my Mac Studio, and my f- I have two favorites: brown noise plus rain and brown noise plus campfire. And I remember talking to you probably years ago now uh, when you were adding this mix feature where you could go in and kind of build your own sounds. Um, and I was wondering either about that feature in particular or features more generally. How do you uh, think about and choose what features to put into this app? Uh, you know, do you listen to feedback? Is it more kind of where it started as something that you want for your use? How does that work? So I'm not really a, like, you know, professional user of my app. Like a lot of people, when they build apps, they're building it for themselves. I'm doing air quotes for some reason. You can't see that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like with Dark Noise, I've grown to use it more in reality, um, not just for testing, but originally it was more or less for my wife. And then I started a test flight and it, it got quite a few users on it and I got lots of feedback from them. Um, and that's really how a lot of ideas came to be. And so there's a lot of other apps that have mixing sounds as a feature. In fact, a lot of them, the way they work is you open the app and it's just like a bunch of sounds you can pick from and you can basically turn them on and set volumes for them all. But with this, kind of going back to my original idea of like, I want it to be something that you get in and get out as fast as you can. Um, I sort of built the mix feature to be focused on that. So most of the time, people probably don't like you probably don't spend very much time in the um, mix interface. Mm -mm. I I made them and favorited them and then moved on. (laughs) That in exactly. And so I kind of optimized it for that. So you could imagine an app that's a little bit easier for doing mixing by having them all in front of you and you can set the different volumes at the beginning. But I figured most people 
they're going to set one up and then they're never going to touch it again. And so that's kind of how it works is you can create a mix, save it, and then it just shows up in your list just like anything else. And yeah, you can add it to your favorites. And so it's at the top. And if it's the last one you played, when you open the app for the first time, that's the only thing you'll see. And for most people, I think that's what it is. I think most people use the exact same sound almost always, but it's tailored to them. And that's really all that they want. And so uh, like other things, like I was talking about earlier, mixes was almost designed for you to use it as little as possible, um, sort of explicitly. That was kind of the the idea um, going into it. I mean, I use your app almost entirely via shortcuts automation. I don't, I don't open the app, you know, the, uh, I, and I just have it trigger when I go into different work modes and like, I, I was just looking at the app, there's sounds in here. I didn't know you had added cause I hadn't looked <laughs> in the sound list recently. You know I mean? So it's just, it, that's, but that's the thing I love about your app is it can be invisible for the user if you want it to be. And your shortcut support is, is, is really good. Um, for what you're doing you know you can do the mixes you can set a specific sound you know everything you need to do via shortcut you can do and um, I don't know how many of your users write you about that but I'm definitely a fan of the shortcut support yeah shortcuts is definitely an area that I think um, especially early on I haven't surveyed the landscape so maybe there's a lot of other apps doing that now but I think in the in the white noise space uh, I think I was one of the early adopters for that and try to push on that as hard as I can. And again, it comes to that same thing of like, I'm looking at this more like a utility or productivity app than an experience. And so deep, uh, you know, system integration is, is a big part of that. Like if you never have to open the app because you can do everything through the system, that to me is like, that's a benefit. That's, that's one of the differentiators. Um, whenever I first was working on it, it was before shortcuts came out. And I had like, are they called quick actions where you could like long press on an app icon? I don't know yeah. that anybody ever really used those. But that was a part of my thinking was I need all these types of features, like quick ways to make a sound start. And then you leave the app and never think about it again. And so when shortcuts came out, it was like, yes, this is a no brainer. Like this fits exactly with the ethos of, of kind of how I'm building this. And same thing with the widget support. I think you that's kind of on the same idea. Um, like I've got a, a focus mode for reading on my iPhone home screen. You know, the rainstorm icon for, for dark night shows up on my home screen. I just push it to start it and stop it. And um, I feel like you've done a really good job with the app has, you know, got a, a built-in kind of simplicity to it. But in terms of the under-the-hood stuff that allows us as users to quickly use the app and, and get it out of the way. I think you've done a really great job with that. Yeah, and I, I've really tried to spend a lot of time, and my wife has made sure I've spent a lot of time making it solid. And it sounds weird to say solid, like how complicated could it be? But um, anybody who's used iOS knows that like audio uh, can be finicky, right? In terms of when does it show up in the lock screen? And if you hit, play from this widget does it properly play and take over audio um and i've tried to like really understand and follow through on all of the integrations for if you unplug headphones like physical headphones it'll automatically pause or unpause whenever you plug them back in and try and be smart about how all of that works and even like the dynamic island live activity stuff that just came out 
Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to do much there because there's already a now playing widget. Like I got all that for free. Um, but something that's been uh, a feature since the original launch because somebody requested it is there's a setting where you can have it mix with other apps. Um, so if you're playing Spotify, you could have rain going in the background or something like that, um, which is just a, a setting with how you you know set up how the audio plays when you tell iOS that you're playing audio. But the problem is if you have that turned on, it doesn't show in the now playing widget because that goes to the primary uh, app like Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. And th- it's always been like a source of confusion for people because they'll turn that on and not remember they turned it on and then they lost their play pause you know button on their screen or they don't know how to stop it from playing because kind of like a t- an errant tab in a browser uh it's like where is this at and they have to go find the app or something like that and so with live activities i was actually able to basically rebuild the now playing widget only if you're using that mix feature and so you can actually have you know you're now playing showing spotify or apple music or whatever and then underneath that, you'll have dark noise with a play, pause, skip, next, all those different buttons. And it's actually been surprisingly useful, uh, even for me, somebody who didn't really use that very often. Because like with CarPlay, I don't know if you've ever had this issue before where sometimes uh, podcasts or audiobooks will like, if there's too much silence in between words, it'll like cut off the beginning of the next word that comes in. And what I found is if I just play a very, very, very low volume, like spaceship noise or airplane noise or something in dark noise, it stops there from ever being silence and it gets rid of that problem entirely. And so I use that all the time, every time that I'm driving now. And now I have, you know, an extra now playing widget kind of sitting there and I can quickly pause it or play it um, from there. And so all those system integrations are kind of, I feel like a differentiator for the app. Yeah, well, that that's what makes all us nerds love you, Charlie, in your app because because <laughs> you are like going that extra mile. And you know, I was just telling my kids recently, if you just care about what you do, you are ahead of like ninety percent of everybody else in the world. So find something you can care about, you know. And it's just like you can tell that with this app, and I uh, I really appreciate that. But you you brought it over to the Mac too. Tell us about that. Yeah. So my original like you know, four-year plan or whatever you want to call it when I released the app was app comes out and then I knew I wanted mix audio. And then the next thing I wanted was the ability to like import your own sounds. And I spent a very long time, I still haven't released that because it's been just a big gnarly mess that I haven't been able to to, to fully unwind. But while I was working on that, um, I don't know if you heard, but in, in 2020, uh, there was a global pandemic and, uh, a lot of people all of a sudden were working at home with nobody around them. And a significant amount of those people were working on Macs. Uh, Apple knows this because they made a lot of money on Macs during that time. And I very quickly started getting just enormous amounts of uh, support requests, or not support requests, but requests for a Mac app version of the app. And that was, to me, like way down the line. And so pretty quickly, I pivoted and I was like, all right, this is going to be fun for me anyway. And so I used Catalyst uh, because I wanted to get it out and I was afraid of supporting uh, one learning app kit from scratch and also supporting two different apps and everything. And so I was like, I'm going to see if I can make this work with Catalyst. Um, And it turns out it's actually really good. 
there's there's obviously issues with it as we all as we all know but if you're trying to make you know a utility it doesn't i'm not trying to make something that is you're typing in or you're using like a text editor or something like that um i was trying to take the same mentality of this is a utility and bring it here catalyst was actually really great for that um so most of the app is the ios version but the thing that i spent almost all of my time on really trying to nail is the the toolbar itself so i just built a custom toolbar um that feels similar to apple music in the podcast app although hopefully a little more reliable um than those apps and uh I just really wanted that to be Mac feeling, if that makes sense. I mean, it, it really is a good job. And I think this is the perfect example of an app for Catalyst. Now, for listeners who aren't you know, up on all this stuff, Catalyst is the protocol, I guess you'd call it, that, that Apple came up with to take an iPad app and move it over to the Mac, uh, you know, particularly with the, the Apple Silicon transition. But I believe they actually started it even before that. But Either way, um, it doesn't give you the power of something like Swift UI, um, but it it does give you a very easy on ramp with your with your iPad app onto a Mac, and like an app of this scope, I think is a perfect candidate for something like that. You know, I think didn't Apple do that with their Stocks app? And right, so, so like I think the I forget there was a couple apps that Apple did with this, and they've. Um, I just think you I think you picked the right horse for this. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a much it's a simpler app. You know, the actual experience of it isn't isn't super complicated. And and so yeah, like my my big focus there was uh keeping it simple. Um and unlike like for some reason the Apple Music app is really it's really strict about like window size. Um like if you want a mini player, you have to you know, go go to window and set it to a mini player and i thought maybe with with dark noise i could take and maybe this is uh not mac like and people don't like this but i've gotten positive feedback from it but i've kind of taken the web uh approach of making the ui reactive um in terms of window size and so you can shrink the app all the way down to just the toolbar being visible literally just by dragging the window to be super tiny um, and when you bring it to its smallest size, it, it looks very similar to the QuickTime window when you're playing audio, which is kind of my thinking there. Because I, I like how you can have Mac apps that are just super tiny and these little tiny things that you can just put wherever you want on your screen and they don't take up much real estate. And so that was sort of my thinking there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like a widget when you shrink it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's a widget you can leave on your screen. You don't have to swipe in for and exactly. the, uh, the one touch, the one touch I definitely want to point out for listeners is you've got two ways of doing this. If you make it long, it's like one row, and if you make it shorter, it compresses to two rows. And I, the first time I, I, I realized that I'm like, ah, Charlie, I like this. You know, it's like yeah. the way the window resizes. It's like, I mean, this is the nerd part of me that says, oh, I bet that was a lot of work to figure out when to make that transition and how to draw it, but. But so whether you're someone who really wants to make it like a little narrow widget up in the corner, or if you want to make it long and stick it below, you know, your word document or whatever, he's like, he's accommodated both of those, those functions. I love that. Yeah. That was one that I was afraid 
might get me rejected. Also, people might not like, because again, I, I don't know if that's really quote unquote Mac-like, um, but it felt in the spirit of the Mac, it's doing what the user is trying to make it do. That, that was kind of my driving force um, behind, behind that thinking is like, yeah, you, do you want it to be as short as possible or, or do you want the height to be as short as possible or do you want the width to be as short as possible? And I can make both happen. It's software. And so that's what I was trying to do there. This episode of MPU is brought to you by Squarespace. We're towards the end of the year now, and maybe you're thinking about projects for next year. Chances are that project is going to need a website, and you should start, my friend, with Squarespace. They're the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Products, services, content. Squarespace has you covered for all of it. Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. You can categorize, share, and schedule your post to make your content work for you. You can also host a podcast on Squarespace, and it's super easy. You upload your audio, set up your post, and you're out the door for people to listen across a bunch of different podcast apps. And of course, all of this is powered by Squarespace's amazing website engine, and this means that you can customize your website easily with your logo, your colors, typefaces, whatever you want, and put your content right where you want it to be. It's really easy to build a great-looking site with Squarespace. Just recently, I overhauled the GiveRelay.com website they're using for our membership sale this month. And it's in Squarespace, really easy to build, nice-looking galleries, have links go where I want to go, use the colors I want. Really simple, really straightforward, and honestly, I think it looks really good. So head on over to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. It's a great way to get that new project started. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring Mac Power Users and supporting Relay FM. All right, so Charlie, you've accidentally made a hit, and uh, you know uh, we love dark noise. I know a lot of our listeners do too. Hopefully, we're inspiring a few people to download it and check it out. So, where does it stand currently? You know, where are you going with it? Yeah. So, like I've said, this is a side project, and so one of the one of the frustrating things with a side project is you, well, I guess with a main project too, is you just never have enough time. Um, and so I have these bigger plans for things that I'd really like to do. Um, in particular, getting more variety of sounds in there. Um, every year, Apple comes out with new features, and I always integrate those features as fast as I can. And that has been easy to keep up with. But these sort of bigger swings of... Um, allowing you to have way more sounds has been something I'm hung up on because currently all of the sounds are baked into the app. There's no online component at all. Um, and so what I long-term, what I really want to do is, is build out a bigger online component to it so you can download a larger variety of sounds and I can kind of keep this catalog updating. But time has always been the thing that's hung me up on that. And so 
I've started making a couple moves to free up more of my time. Um, like I have a podcast uh, we might talk about later, but I was spending a lot of time editing that. And I've recently gotten an editor for that. And that's freed up a whole bunch of my time. Um, and I'm also trying to to sort of pivot more of my focus to this as the only real major side project that I have going. But another piece to that is potentially making it a viable uh, career <laughs> on its own. I don't know sure. that I'll necessarily be able to do that, but that is that is one of my long-term dream goals. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to commit to it, I guess is what I'm dancing around here. But but part of that is making it a more viable business. Um, and so one of the things that I've really been exploring recently is is a switch to the business model, which is scary because uh, right now it's a paid up front app, which I know makes a lot of people very happy. But that has the obvious issue of, uh, you know, it, it doesn't the, the you don't keep making more money as people keep using it over a long period of time. And the app's been out for three years now. Um, and so one of the things I'm really exploring is, is potentially adding a subscription option and making this into a more of a sustainable business that I can pour a lot more time and money into in terms of like servers and stuff like that. Um, so that's, that's where a lot of my focus is right now um, in terms of trying to figure that out. When you... The, think about that or when you talk about it i mean what are some what are some cons that you think come up with that i mean we, we've seen some apps go through this process and get some pretty negative feedback does that scare you off of it oh yeah i mean i get regular reviews and emails of people that are like thank you for not being a horrible monster who uses subscriptions and i'm always like oh no like you're scaring me um it is a very divisive issue. Um, and I've watched and talked to a lot of people who've gone through these transitions before. And so I'm trying to avoid a lot of those pitfalls. One of them is trying to talk about it a lot up front. I think, I think it being a big surprise um, is sometimes at least extra cause for uh, frustration for people. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing, which a lot of people, I think more people have learned is bringing people along and taking care of your existing customers. And that's something I'm very focused on. I, I don't want to take, well, definitely don't want to take anything away from anybody, but I also don't want to make the app frustrating for people who are already customers who really like the app. And so that's, that's a, a big focus as well. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely scared. Like that's, I'm scared both of the immediate reaction and people being upset, but I'm also just scared because I like people to like me, um, <laughs> you know, and it, it does feel good to have, it feels good for this to be a side project that you don't have to make a business that supports your family on its own. And so you can make decisions in that regard that other people who are making it their full-time business, they, they can't necessarily do. I can afford to not have it um, make as much money uh, because it's a side thing right now. And so I like I like being, you know, getting all the praise and accolades from people for that, but I, I don't know that that's necessarily fair or warranted either. So, I don't know. It I'm I'm dumping a lot of feelings on you right now, but I'm I'm at the beginning stages of this, so it's mostly lots of feelings swirling around. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a complicated thing, right? And I do think the 
out of the blue, you just open the app one day and it has a new panel and it says, hey, I'm a subscription app now. That is like the wrong way to go. And I think I think you've done a really good job at, at over the years of Dark Noise communicating with your customers what's coming. And I remember like you do. Uh, for Dark Noise 2, you did this like trailer video and a bunch of fun stuff. And so I think that's the right approach. And um, it, it does make me wonder, though, like, do you want to get this to a point where you can be, you know, Charlie, the the indie iOS developer? I mean, that's definitely the dream, right? Um, I think I think there's an element to uh, of, you know, as we're recording this right now, my field is in a little bit of uh, turmoil. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's you know, this horrible hellscape type situation, uh, at least currently. But there's those elements of like, are things going to be less stable going forward? And uh, the idea of having, you know, another uh, sort of safety net over here with dark noise, if something were to happen with my normal job, um, that's definitely, you know, an element as well. But I'd be lying if I said that my main thinking was, wasn't uh man wouldn't it be awesome if if i could make this work um if i could put the time into it that some of these apps that i adore and look up to that they're able to put lots of time into it and maybe i have too big of a head and think that i could get somewhere closer to their level if i could put more time into it um that's that's sort of the the dream i guess I, I think you're on to something, Charlie, honestly, when you say that, you know, keep the features there. The the biggest mistake I think people make is when they go to subscription model and now users are expected to pay a monthly fee for the same thing they had already right. had, you know. And uh, if you look at some of the more successful transitions to subscription model, all of them started saying, hey, everything you've got, you you still got, you don't have to pay a subscription for that. But you know, now if I have this income, I can spend way more time on it and I'm going to add a plus set of features and that's what you'd pay for. But if you're happy with what you've got, nothing's changing. And I think that will quell a lot of that. I think that's the biggest mistake people make is when they, you know, suddenly want you to pay for a set of features you already paid for, you know? Yeah, for sure. I also think too, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of, (laughs) this is a strong word for it, but I think it accurately trace it there's a little bit of grief when there's an app that you've been using for a very long time and you've bought multiple you know version upgrades for for five bucks or whatever and when they switch to subscription that often means they're investing more in it they're starting to focus on features for more power users or businesses or enterprise users or something like that and they're adding a lot more value to it but they're no longer targeting the app towards you the like prosumer uh like regular like consumer version of the customer they're sort of targeting a new group and i think there's a little bit of sadness that people genuinely feel when that happens because it sort of feels like you're getting left behind um and i don't know how you avoid that but i don't know i i think developers can often get very defensive and upset because they're getting a lot of hate thrown their way and that's an understandable feeling but i think it's important to understand that there's like there's legitimacy behind the feeling of people being upset too it's not just you know greedy users don't want to pay anything well in addition to sorting that out 
there's a fruit company that's also starting to make sounds. Uh, <laughs> how are you dealing with that? Uh, so Apple, for, for folks out there, I'm being too clever. Uh, Apple now has added ambient sound noises to iOS. Yeah, so it was a weird mix of feelings when they announced this. So I, I don't believe that was at WWDC. I think that was in one of their uh, press releases they do before WWDC to like clear the decks. And they announced, yeah. you know, they're going to have background noises built into iOS. I think it was 15 when that happened. Um, and the first feeling, honestly, was I was excited. It made me feel like a real developer because it's like, oh, am I getting Sherlocked? Like, I don't know. This is a thing I've been hearing people talk about for so long. More than existential fear. Because, you know, I, I don't have a company now and it's, I don't have employees. So it, I don't have that same fear that a lot of people necessarily have. Um, and then the next feeling was, was genuine fear because when I looked at the list of sounds, there's only like five, but one of them is called dark noise, which I had spent, I've listened to Marco Arment enough that I'd spent a lot of time finding a name that hadn't been used anywhere. Um, but I hadn't listened to Marco enough to trademark that name. And so I was, I was genuinely scared. Like, am I in trouble? Are they going to like shut me down or make me change my name or what's going on with that. Um, that has proven to not really be an issue other than the fact that my Google alerts are shot because it used to be any Google alert I got was genuinely for my app. And now most of the time it's somebody writing about, you know, Apple accessibility features. But in terms of the actual, you know, what you're actually going for for this question, I, like what many people say with getting Sherlocked, um, it's, it's not like they really came after me. Like we've talked about, there are a thousand apps uh, out there for for playing ambient sounds. In fact, Apple was already in this game because Apple Music has rain sounds and white noise sounds uh, in Apple Music. Um, what I was bringing to the table was, like we've talked about already, like a streamlined utility with all the system hooks. And at least with this version of of Apple's background sounds, it's definitely not that. It's very much an accessibility feature that's it's pretty buried into settings. Um, and so it that definitely doesn't worry me at all. Um, if they were to come out with a dedicated, you know, noise app, I think I might have to look at at the the world and think, okay, what do I need to do to differentiate from this? Because there's definitely an element of dark noise that is a dark noise app the way Apple would make it, right? Which I know lots of indie developers use as their pitch, but it really is like I try to hook into everything and I try to make it feel really native. But if Apple makes one, it's definitely, it's going to hook into most system features and it's going to feel really native and they'll be able to hook into more features than even I would be able to, right? Um, and so I might have to look at the world and, and shift things, but I think I've already found that the white space ecosystem, I don't know what you want to call that market, is is so big that I can find a niche of people that aren't satisfied with whatever they they would offer theoretically in the future. And I could I could fulfill that. And just because Apple can, you know, make it into the system better doesn't mean they will. And this initial ins install, in my opinion, is is pretty obscure. I don't think you have a lot to worry about. Yeah, that's kind of my thinking too. It's not like like I, I've talked, I've had on on my podcast, uh, like Matt Rangi, uh, who works at Astropad or runs Astropad, and like 
when uh, Sidecar came out for the iPad and was like legitimately like a direct attack on uh, Luna Display, one of their their apps slash hardware devices. Uh, that was yeah. a much more existential, you know, kind of situation. He's got a company with employees, and it was way more a direct hit and had those system integrations that they literally don't have access to. Um, and they had to do a lot of work and soul searching to to deal with that. But I don't think I'm I'm in that situation. Uh, nor do I see that really coming anytime soon. If anything, it may turn people onto your app when you think about it. If they discover, oh, I kind of like green zones. Now, if I could only, you know, fire it off with a shortcut and make it play with my music or, you know, all the stuff that you do that they don't. I'm also curious if the name Dark Noise helps me somehow. Like, I don't have any metrics to back this up, but it does make me wonder if, like, you know, you see Dark Noise in this list or see it on a nine to five article or something like that. And you just go to the app store and search for it because that's how lots of people look for things. Um, I, I wonder if that actually helps my, you know, ASO or SEO or anything like that, but I doubt it's very much. I th- like you said, I think it's a pretty obscure uh, feature at this point. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by electric unbury yourself from it tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. Turning a small business into an empire takes work, and you have to keep your ear to the ground for things that will help you take it to the next level. But this can be hard when your attention is pulled in different directions because that's the reality of being a boss. And the problem is that you are listening to the Mac Power users. You're not only a boss. You're also an IT maverick. You could figure out a lot of the computer stuff you need at your work, but that's not your job. The team over in Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. And that's why they've solved the problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses or setting up employee laptops, uh, why don't you let somebody else do that for you so you can build your empire? And with Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. The problem, gang, is what I call nerd kryptonite. We're just good enough at this stuff that we want to do it all ourselves. That becomes our kryptonite. It's the thing that brings us down. Sometimes we have to let go. We have to delegate and let somebody else handle that stuff for us so we can keep the wheels on at the company. Trust me, I have fallen subject to nerd kryptonite many times, and I'm sure you probably have too. So if that's you, head over to Electric. For Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. Once again, electric, E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C dot A-I slash MPU. Go there now and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power Users. Charlie, in addition to being a parent and a developer and an indie developer on the side you are also a podcast host you host the excellent launched podcast and i think you've really found something really interesting so this is a show where you sit down and interview mostly developers but there's some other people on here as well people like me who kind of make things in our corner of the internet and talk to them about their background and their projects and and what they do uh, this is a pretty big break from software development. So how did this come about? Yeah, so I mentioned it earlier. I 
I do like video editing and motion graphics. That was always sort of my side hustle pre iOS development, really. And one of the areas I really struggled with, with these projects, I would do like freelance, you know, commercials for people or or little bumpers for churches or something like that. Um, And one of the areas I really struggled with was audio. Uh, That was just, I never had learned it. I'd never spent that much time with it and I was never good at it. And so as a way to solve that problem, I did what any, uh, you know, boring dude in the Midwest uh, will do. <laughs> Got a friend and was like, hey, we should start a podcast. Uh, and so this was this was a while back. And I basically started a podcast with a friend, your typical, you know, two people talking show. Uh, not terribly interesting, but it was really fun to do. And it taught me how to do all of this stuff that I hadn't uh, I hadn't been able to figure out. I Around this time, I had also ironically bought a bunch of books on uh, sound recording and sound design. I have somewhere in here, I have uh, like the audio sound Bible, you know, teaching you how to record like sound for uh, folly sound for people walking, that kind of thing, which ironically ended up being useful for dark noise way down the line. Um, But anyway, so that's how I got into the actual podcast thing. And it turns out it's really fun. I really like it. I like having an avenue for sort of putting my thoughts out there or at least talking through my thoughts. Um, I think it does for me what writing does for a lot of people. Writing kind of locks me up. Um, I found having a blog is really helpful, but it's a much more difficult thing for me to get, you know, words to page uh, compared to me just talking through like I'm doing now way too much and just continuing to expound. And like it pulls thoughts out of my head that I hadn't fully formed yet. Um, And I really liked that. And so I was actually running that podcast still while I was working on Dark Noise. And after Dark Noise came out, I sort of that sort of fizzled out um, because that was Dark Noise was taking a lot of my time. But I was doing podcasts when Dark Noise came out. I was kind of like on Twitter. Hey, anybody runs a podcast, you should have me on like or I'm willing to come on and talk. And I was doing a couple of these shows. And through some of those conversations, somebody on Twitter brought up like that should just be a show on its own. And that person just like, what is it called? Nerd sniped me, like got that in my head. Uh, and I was never able to quite get it out of my head as a thing. And I started thinking like, man, that should be a show. Like like, like a talk show, kind of like what Gruber does, but focused on apps as they come out and talking to people about that specific process. Um, almost like The Tonight Show or something like that, where it's people coming on talking about a movie that they just filmed or whatever. And so at some point I decided, you know what, I should do this. I also was trying to get into the iOS developer community at the time. Uh, I was just trying to invest as much into there, get my name out there kind of for marketing purposes, kind of for, I just wanted to meet people in the space because I kind of fell in love with it as a community. Um, and so that's really what, what Bohr launched is, is kind of wanting this thing to exist and then realizing I have the skill set to, to sort of make it happen. And it, it might be a good avenue for me getting to meet all these people, which ended up, you know, this was January of 2020 was when I launched it. Um, and within a couple months, it turned out it was extremely important if I wanted to have conversations with people to have something like this, because it wasn't going to happen at conferences or anything like that. Yeah, I remember the last... Well, not the last in-person WC, but the last big one in 19 and and previous ones, people like John Voorhees and some of our other friends, like running around trying to 
record stuff during the conference. Like that just doesn't, doesn't seem fun to me. Um, and you know, the way you do it, you, you can sit down, you can do all your prep. You can have a nice conversation with somebody. Uh, what are some big things you've, you've learned from interviewing all these, all these developers? Have there been things that you've taken and applied to your own work? Um, I mean, there's definitely been a lot. Uh, in fact, like a recent episode, uh, that just came out with uh, Daniel Gautier, who did Up Ahead. We talked about subscriptions and all of that. And our conversation about that really did reframe my thinking around um, how to look at this from a, I don't want to say ethical point of view, but from a, like, I feel good about this point of view. Because I really have struggled a lot with, with that switch and how I feel about it personally and how other people feel about it. And, and so hearing people talk through how they're thinking about business models um, has really changed my thinking a lot. Um, it's also extremely solidified in my mind the importance of in-person, face-to-face, small group uh, relationship building. Like, I can't tell you how many of these episodes, the like opening of like, how did you start this thing, especially ones where it's partnerships, were well, I was at WWDC and I met this person and then we mm. just kept talking and then, you know, or we had this idea and we were at lunch or getting coffee somewhere and then the, it kind of spiraled into something. And and that uh, that really got in my head as like, I need to keep pushing on this. Like it's easy, I think, as a indie, especially, you know, engineering developer types are often, they like their, you know, personal space. Uh, and I think impressed on me that it's important to like try to make space for these types of relationship building conversations like twitter is amazing well (laughs) that was a sentence with lots of baggage i guess but the online (laughs) community is great right in whatever form that takes now or in the future um but those smaller groups where you can be a little bit more honest and uh vulnerable and talk about how you think about things those have just an enormous amount of value um and finding ways to make those happen, I think, has a lot of value. And I think the podcast has given me that um, in lots of ways. You know, Apple's taking a lot of heat because they, they're they not as eager to have their employees stay home, you know. And um, I really think, you know, without me sounding like I'm in the bag for Apple, but I really think that <laughs> for creativity, being in the same room with other people is very useful. And for coming up with creative solutions. And I believe that, you know, the world has changed and people should be allowed to remote work. I mean, I, I mean, I love working from home so much. I couldn't, if you told me I had to go to an office every day, I'd just probably quit. So, (laughs) you know, but the, uh, but I do think if you're working with a group of people trying to come up with creative solutions to difficult problems, getting them all in a room, not necessarily every day, but, but on occasion, is going to be something that's, that you really can't replace. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm in a remote job now, um, which this is the first time I went full remote was after the pandemic sort of forced me to do it. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like I, I really miss the in-person element. I think there's a lot of inefficiencies that come with it. Right. Like I think there's, there's, there's definitely truth to, uh, you know, remote can be more efficient in in lots of ways. But I think there's also the sort of, I don't know what the right word is, but like 
the happy accident inefficiencies that can come from in-person interactions uh, yeah. are hard to replicate remotely. Not impossible, and people keep coming up with new digital and whatever situa- solutions to try and help with that. But it's it's hard to beat sitting in a room goofing off with somebody and an idea sparking and then you starting to riff on each other. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, the goal is for, you know, virtual space to do that. You know, what, what do they call meta? You know, they're going you know, <laughs> to be looking at each other with no pants and trying to figure out how to solve a problem. And maybe uh, it requires a new generation of humans, you know, to grow up with that, to be more comfortable in it. But um, there is something to be said for getting people in the same room. And I, and I don't think that that means everybody should have to go to the office every day. But I do think that there should be some kind of space for that, you know, some kind of accommodation for it. But difficult problems. So getting back to the podcast, you you got it out right in turn, time for COVID. It's been uh, publishing regularly. What what have you learned from it, and and uh, what do you think about the whole process? Yeah, it's um, well, actually, today you probably haven't seen this, but today I released episode fifty, um, which okay. I can't believe I made it this far. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been kind of a crazy. It's been crazy who who's come on. I I got this guy uh, who I've looked up to for a really long time. His name is Stephen Hackett. I don't know if you've heard of him. Before. Oh, he's a he's, uh, uh, come on. Yeah, he's <laughs> the guy that loves all those screens on his computer. I heard about. Him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's the multi multi screen lifestyle guy. Um, no, but like getting to talk to people who've you've looked up to for so long. I, I mean, you guys have have done it probably lots of times on here. It's 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 both intimidating but also um i don't know what the right word is it, it's a confidence boost because you kind of see the the person behind the thing like a lot of people you hold up as um larger than life isn't the right word but like caricatures right like you couldn't do what they do because they're they're brian mueller they're they made carrot like i can't do that that's not me and then you talk to him and you're like oh he's a human who has who's a a genius to be fair, but like, uh, thinks like me and has a way that he goes about solving these problems. And like, I could adopt some of those ideas into, into what I do. Um, and that's, that's been one of my favorite things about doing the show. And honestly, one of my favorite parts about doing the show is after we stop recording and sometimes we talk for another, you know, hour. Um, but I hope that that's also what the show is bringing to people listening is like that's why I try to focus the first part of the show on the person's career that got them to the app. It's because like oftentimes that's the most interesting part because that's that's where you bring people along and realize this person's just like I am and then they made a decision that led them to this place and like I could make changes in my life uh or in my app or whatever and I could maybe make something. It doesn't mean you're going to make an app uh, it could be you want to be a podcaster or a motion graphics designer or, you know, woodworker or whatever. Um, but like there are ways to shift what you make in this world um, that aren't, you know, I quit my job one day and went to a VC and got a $30 million valuation and built this, you know, empire or something like that. There's this other world that exists that's a lot more accessible um, that any of us could really could really do. 
And I, I find that incredibly inspiring. And I, I hope that the, the podcast kind of helps articulate that, that inspiration to other people. Charlie, I always like to end up these interviews just talking about a few of your favorite apps and services that maybe people have never heard of and uh, drop some knowledge on us, Charlie. What, what are the little apps that bring you delight? Well, I guess if you're going to use the word delight, I have to start with uh, Up Ahead. I already mentioned it once, but uh, this is by Daniel Gautier. It's a new app, just came out uh, this year. And it's, it's essentially a countdown app. Um, but I don't know if you guys have ever seen it before, but it is quite possibly the most delightful app I've ever used, just full stop. It is obnoxiously polished uh, in terms of it being really nice, but like every single little thing in the app is is delightful. Every button that you tap has a nice little fun animation to it, not aggressive animation. Often you won't notice it until you've used it for a while. Um, the settings are beautiful. And then it's really built around this idea of uh, it's not just putting countdown widgets for your wedding on your lock screen. It's for uh, opening the app itself. And you see this sort of timeline view of all of the events that you have in there. And I almost use it as like almost like an alternate calendar. That's only the things that I'm looking forward to. So it's got like movies. Uh, I think I may have put uh MPU in there uh, recording this episode because I was looking forward to it. Um, you know, Christmas break, these types of things all go in there. And it has really it has really good widgets with like filters. So you can have like I have a widget that's movies, uh, video games and TV shows that I'm looking forward to. And like it just always says what the next one is coming up um, and then also like travel and stuff like that. And so I that one has just been I don't know, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, as a utility, but also as a developer who appreciates nice things, it is the nicest of things. Um, and in, in a similar vein, this one you probably definitely have heard of is flighty. Um, yes, this was an app. So good. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculously good. Like it's one of those apps where, uh, and I've had Ryan Jones, the, the, creator on the show he's he's not a developer he's not a designer he is a i guess product manager i I don't know i don't remember what he calls himself but it's almost like he's the person he's like the steve jobs uh for lack of better example where it's like he won't let any little thing go it feels like and so he pushes all the people that are doing all the different pieces to make something that's like super polished and just good it's the best word for it and so as a developer i've had the app for a long time because it's just really inspiring um it's it's one of those apps where you you're tempted to copy it way more than you probably should and i'll often do things that are not as good in my app so i'm not just completely copying what he did in flighty because it's just brilliant um but then as i started traveling again uh i can't i can't believe how good the app is i haven't gotten to use it with live activities or the dynamic island yet but that looks amazing too. Um, just a amazing app all around, which I know I'm preaching to the choir here probably, but uh, can't recommend that one enough. Now, up next on our list, I see I see two calendar apps, but one yes. is not a calendar app anymore. So what's going on here? One is not a calendar app anymore. But isn't didn't Cron didn't Cron get purchased? Are they gone? 
Oh, I don't know. I hope not. Well, here, I'll just explain myself. So, okay. first off, Fantastical, best calendar app. I mean, I don't think I need to say any more. I feel like anytime I look up a tutorial, I hear David Sparks talking about what's great about Fantastical uh, uh, anyway, because, yeah, that app is just absolutely wonderful. But Cron, I'm curious to hear you say that because I haven't really kept up with it very well. I will offer a real-time correction in that uh, they did get purchased, but they say that... they So, Cron got purchased by Notion, and Notion oh, says they're going to remain like an independent app. So, okay. Hopefully, that work pans out. <laughs> yeah, so Cron, Cron was like... I think it... I don't even know if it technically exited beta. I don't, I don't know the story don't, with Cron. I don't think it did. Okay. But essentially, it's, it's another calendar app. Um, I think it's I think it's Electron, and I know there's a lot of hoopla about that being good or bad or whatever. I, I don't like it as much as Fantastical, personally, but is one feature that is just killer. And I've been, I've poked uh, uh, the Fantastical people a couple times because I want this in Fantastical, so I don't need Cron anymore. But that is uh, for scheduling meetings. Fantastical has the, like, uh, what do they call it? Openings where you can you can like share your calendar with somebody else and they can pick a time, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep. Okay. But Cron has a similar thing. So the idea is, you know, I'm recording an episode with somebody who lives in a different time zone as me. I need to share with them all of my availability so they can pick a time. But like, I don't know about you guys, but other than work, like in my normal job, I can say I'm at this job from, you know, eight to four or 7.30 to 4 every day, and anything that's open on that calendar is open to anybody at my job, right? Because that's what I'm there for. Um, but for podcast recording, my world doesn't exist in that like level of purity. And so what Cron lets you do is instead of saying, here's my calendar, you can pick any time, I can like take my cursor and I can basically like paint on my calendar available times so i can just go through my calendar in week view and i can just drag a box over all of the time sections that i'm saying are available so if i'm about to record an episode with somebody and i'm trying to schedule a time with them i'll just go two, three or four weeks out and i'll just highlight okay i'm available here oh but i have to drop the kids off and i it's going to take me extra 15 minutes after that actually so i need to make sure that there's some gap here or whatever I can make those individual decisions. Um, and then it just generates a link that I can share with them. Again, just like Calendly or Fantastical does with openings. But it's that specific ability to like paint. I'm saying paint. I don't think that's the word they use. But I can drag a box over those times to create those openings for them. That is the like killer feature. Um, and I still use that for creating these links like today, which is why I was scared when you said, aren't they going away? <laughs> Yeah, there's something similar with uh, with Fantastical called proposals, which is the opposite of openings, where you can say, okay, I'm going to give you five different options for recording the show, and yeah. you pick one. And that's not the same, though. It's not where you just say, here are all the open times, pick something in there. In the case of Fantastical, you, you create them. Uh, it's quite easy to create them, though. Once you create one, you just say propose another time, and you can drag them around on your calendar. And I, I actually use that more than openings because I'm not I'm not a fan of just letting people book time with me whenever they want. 
Uh, right. it's, it's under very tightly controlled circumstances. Uh, so like when someone wants to meet with me, I will often do the openings in fantastic hell, but you should check that out and see that might be enough for you. But no, I remember that now. Cause, yeah. uh, I think I was complaining about this and they reached out to me at one point and gave me like a, a preview of it too. And the thing with proposals is you pick like you pick those specific times. Exactly. So if I'm open from yeah. like on Fridays, I'm usually I can do any time of the day, right? And so to say I'm available from you know nine o'clock to three o'clock or something like that, I have to create a proposal for nine o'clock and then create a proposal for nine thirty. Exactly. And proposal and this is yeah. for an hour and a half, you know, recording or something like that. Versus like saying I'm available between these times for any hour and a half chunk in between there. Um, yeah. But that is that I was doing that for a little bit. I forgot about that before I discovered Kron's. Um, and if yeah. Kron went away, that's probably what I would go back to. But yeah, yeah I think it's another, just a small tweak to how proposals work is what would get get it there. Yeah. And then another option would be Calend, Calendly. You know, they, they do that yeah. too, where people can book time with you. But yeah, it, it is a, it's an interesting problem. And, you know, I think people are getting smarter about using calendars uh, in ways more than just when you go to the dentist. And and that means that we want bigger features, you know, and that's cool. Yeah, especially as remote and like this cross time zone, cross the world scheduling stuff. That's where it gets really complicated. Yeah. And these tools are amazing. What else is on your list? of? So I have on here uh, <laughs> Twitter. I know like... I know it's in a weird spot right now and I will do my best not to derail this whole thing into another one of these conversations. But I mean, the iOS community as an entity is, is amazing. Honestly, uh, it's the only reason I'm here talking to you guys. It's the only reason dark noise has really taken off. I think is sort of, uh, not just taken off. The reason it was built the way it was built is because me, a random developer with no following or anything, started tweeting about what I was building and a lot of people joined the test flight and were giving me suggestions as the sort of power users. And so the app built around what people were asking for. And a lot of that comes from, from the community, which currently, or at least then lived in, in Twitter. Um, and so I, I put in here, Twitter, uh, Mastodon. Cause that I have found so far Mastodon. There's enough people in our world there right now that like as i've been toying with subscription stuff i can post things there and i get that sort of level of feedback that was really helpful for me um and that's the type of stuff that i'm looking for in these in these platforms is uh is a place to talk to the community about the things that you're you're working on and get feedback from people and give feedback to people um and so yeah it's a weird recommendation and it's an obvious one too but i don't while all the drama is going on i don't want to lose sight of like the value of these platforms is not the platforms, it's the people. And I, I hope that the people continue to exist in, in different places. I know there's also like the Relay Discord and Mac Power Users has a forum. And for whatever reason for me, the whole post-reply system is what's, it's what's worked well for me and I can keep up with. Um, but I hope we can like stay as an entity. And I think that's as a service sort of for me that has been incredibly valuable uh sort of weirdly 
That makes sense. I, I mean, I'm honestly leaning into just like I've got a Discord for the labs, and I go to the Relay Discord, and I'm I'm really just kind of going into those spaces as my kind of primary social media. I mean, I uh, we talked about this on the latest episode of Focus, but when uh, Disney replaced uh, Bob Chapek with Bob Iger, I went. I spent. You know, usually my relationship with Twitter is I go in and look at my my at my ats and you know just my the people I follow, which are very few. But I went into like the main feed of Twitter just to see what people were saying about this big executive shakeup. And wow, I forgot that Twitter is kind of terrible. <laughs> you know, when you just read <laughs> yeah, what you everybody break out writes, of your followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, this is bad. And the other thing that was shocking to me was that like I spent like three hours reading stuff from people that I don't even. <laughs> know or care about so so uh so that that was a good reminder that you know these discords are a pretty good place to go the people there are quality people and you don't have to deal with that craziness but that's just me yeah i think i think the important thing is is the idea of is uh, i guess like i mentioned earlier the relationship building like having a community that you can throw your ideas at bounce ideas off of contribute to their ideas and like everybody grow together um, like I, I had, I'm sorry to divert again, but I interviewed, uh, Michael Flareup recently who you might know him. He's done a lot of like app icons, very famous app icons been around in this community forever. And he talked about this, this forum. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but I've heard other people talk about it. And it was just this forum of people who made app icons for the Mac back in the day. And like, they all sort of grew together, uh, over this seemingly silly thing of just app icons and because they were all bouncing ideas off of each other and coming up with new things together they got really good at what they do and a lot of them went to apple and all these big companies and have had a genuine like real influence on the world i don't know we focus a lot on the negatives of social media as a air quotes big bubble thing but like these little communities can be incredibly powerful tools for like uh amplifying human expression man as i'm saying it i'm rolling my eyes at myself uh but i don't know i i just think finding a group of people to share your ideas with is is super powerful i guess that's the only point i'm trying to get across here yeah i'll I'll quickly plug uh michael's great book the ios app icon book uh it was a kickstarter and then you can i think you can pre-order it now it is one of the most incredible books I own. And I've got a whole bookcase full of tech books from over the years. And the work that uh, he and his team did on this is just, it's something really special. It's so good. It's on, its amazing. Another app on your list is Trello, which I think that just, that comes up more and more frequently. So uh, how are you using Trello? I mean, you're a single man operation. Uh, Trello is a... Uh, a Kanban board kind of app. A lot of times it's used on teams. What are you, what are you doing with Trello? Essentially Kanban, because I've, you know, I've worked on teams my whole career. Um, Kanban as a mechanism for project management is how my brain works, um, or at least how it has worked. And so Trello was really just like, it feels like it's the lightest weight version of those that I had, I'd been able to find. Um, whenever I started, I guess it probably started with, dark noise. I don't know if I had used it for any other projects before that. Um, But basically, I just need a place to dump all ideas that come in, especially when that test flight started getting a lot of people. I got a lot of suggestions and I couldn't integrate everything. 
Um, and so essentially what I needed was a backlog, uh, as you know, you'd call it in a traditional sort of Kanban project management sense. And then it's like a place I can put something and then let my mind stop focusing on it. And then when I'm looking for new work to do, I can go through that backlog and pull ideas into my sort of project that I'm actively working on at the time. Um, I wouldn't say I love Trello. Uh, it's I wish it had like a native Mac app that felt nicer, if that makes sense. But in terms of utility, I have never been able to get off of it. I've tried multiple times. I found apps I even would argue I like better. Um, but as I'm sure you guys can relate with, sometimes you you become one with the, the app that you use and it's really hard to ever break out of it. Um, and so that's sort of where I'm at with Trello. I feel like there's space for like a native Kanban app, kind of like, you know, the way MindNode makes mind map simple, you know, something like that that's a native app on, on Apple platforms. I just feel like there's something there for that. And I've looked for years and there never really is. Everything's too complicated or a web service or something. But that, that there's some space out there, I think, for somebody to make a great app. There's actually a really good app that fits exactly what you're talking about called Tasks that honestly is the one that I keep trying to switch to because that whenever I said there's ones I could argue are better, um, that's actually what I was thinking of. It it feels like, it, honestly, it feels like the Reminders app, but with Kanban. It gets a lot of those little details right. It's definitely like a native feeling app. It has an iOS app, a Mac app. That's definitely the one that I have Dark Noise in, but I haven't ever been able to get like transitioned off of Trello for, if that makes any sense. But yeah, if yeah, you haven't sure. tried it, I would, I would really recommend trying out tasks. Uh, Cause that one, I know lots of people who like love it. Um, and the developers great, like, uh, and keeps growing it and making it better and better. Yeah. I'll check it out. I mean, I'm so deep in with OmniFocus. I, with yeah. their new um, JavaScript automation, I was thinking I could probably cook something together that could like use a tag based system to do it for me because I just kind of want a status board view. I don't want to put all the, the little bits in there. I just want to see what, what projects are in what status. And you can also do that with a whiteboard, honestly. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I, I do think that that is an area like I, people keep talking about Trello, but I never hear from anybody that really loves Trello, you know? Yeah. It gets the job done. It has all the features that you want and it's been there for a long time. And so it's kind of, reliable in that regard yeah yeah and and for like teams the online features are great but i do think there's a group of people like you and i who largely work independently but we still want that view you know we just yeah, want it exactly another one on your list that i wanted to call out was from our friend federico vatici it's the apple frame shortcut uh, tell us about that and how you use it i mean i that's definitely my most used shortcut uh, so, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, which is probably nobody on this, uh, who's listening to this, but, uh, it's just a shortcut that, you know, you can take a screenshot on your phone or basically any Apple device at this point and run the shortcut against that image. And it will put that image into the frame of that device. So if I take a screenshot on my iPhone 14 pro, I can just run the shortcut against that image and it will add the iPhone 14 pro, uh, like phone device frames with a transparent background and then put my screenshot into that. Um, and on the 14 pro it includes, you know, the, the, the hole for the dynamic Island, the Island, I guess is what yeah. we call it. Um, 
And I use that, I mean, constantly. I can't tell you. I use it for, like, if you look at my App Store screenshots or a lot of my promotional material, I could use, you know, I use Figma and Photoshop and all these different designs. I could use, like, a template to put it in, but it's just so much easier to just run it through frames and then take that PNG and then bring it into whatever app I'm doing my design work in. Um, I also use it a lot at work, like my normal job, for sending screenshots to designers because... Like the contextual, uh, the context of a screenshot in the frames is sometimes really important. Like if it's, you know, you want it to be with those rounded corners or like, especially up towards the top, whether it's the notch or the island or, or an older device that doesn't have any, seeing it like butted up against those elements does change how a design looks and feels. And so simply as a tool for, showing people like designs that we're working on in the context of a device, I found it to be just invaluable. Yeah. And there's a couple points on this one. The first is this year he moved the frame elements into a, an iCloud drive uh, folder. Yeah. So now historically uh, he was embedding the frames into the shortcut, which I knew that was like just, you know, a battle like Sisyphus, you know, you were never going to succeed in that eventually because there are so many different frames and shortcuts when you put that much code. The, the way uh, shortcuts would do that, it, was, it would convert a binary file into a text file. And that stuff is so, it's just so easy to break that, you know. Um, I, so it's this crazy he got it working. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Especially as long as he did but this year he put it in cloud but so if you download it and it says you know we need to access an iCloud file to get these files you can trust Federico it's good just you know you're good (laughs) and the the other thing is I would argue this is something that needs to be Sherlocked Apple has to I mean when you take a screenshot on your device there should be a checkbox or something that says put a frame around it and honestly Apple should have this built into the operating system in my opinion that would be really handy. From your lips to Tim's ears, right? The, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What What is hand mirror? That's another one on your list. I, I added this right before we started recording. Um, it's an app I've known about for a while, but never needed to use. So essentially, it's an incredibly simple menu bar app that like, I can go up right now, and if I tap it, it just pops down a window that shows my webcam. It's literally like right before you get on a call, uh, you want to check, you know, that your hair doesn't look weird or that there's nothing funky in the background. I do this all the time uh, with Zoom. I'll just open up. I'll start a meeting in Zoom just for the sake of seeing what's visible on my webcam to make sure there's nothing. I don't know. I don't know that there's ever actually been anything, but, you know, you fix your hair or whatever it is. Um, And this just puts it right into your menu bar and makes it way easier. And the reason I did it was because I didn't have... I don't have a Zoom account on my personal device. So when I started this call, I realized I couldn't just start a meeting from Zoom to check. And so I was like, I know an app that does this. And I quickly downloaded it. And it was like, I'm putting this on every device now because this is incredibly handy. Um, So I just want to throw a plug out there for that because it's pretty cool. This is great. I I didn't know about it either, but I do the same thing. But I would always use QuickTime. You know, I'd open QuickTime. I've done that too. The problem with QuickTime is it's, it's flipped. Yeah. So if you try to fix your hair, you always mess it up because your hands all confused. (laughs) Um, And this one, it's it's more like a mirror. It 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 makes it. I don't know what the right word is, but it's it's your right hand. You will see on the right side of your screen. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
Oh, I just installed it. So thank you. I'm I'm in. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, we have all enjoyed watching your journey with you know Dark Noise and its development. And uh, recommend everybody head over to launchedfm.com. Uh, check out Charlie's podcast. And I can't wait to see what you do next. And, you know, if you are able to pull this thing off where you get a subscription, you're able to you know, make it your own thing. I expect we're going to get so many great features and ideas from you. So I, I will be first in line. Just let me know. And the, uh, uh, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, do, do we, where else should people go to find you? Are you what's your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, it's underscore Chucky C. Uh, you can also just go to my website. It's charliemchapman.com. And then there you can find, you know, Mastodon or wherever we end up all landing. Uh, yeah. The dust finally settles. All right. Well, I want to thank our sponsors today. That's 1Password, Squarespace, and Electric. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, you can check out the MPU forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And uh, we'll see you next time.